episode of the Touch Points podcast put on by East Point Bible Church. In this episode, we will be continuing our series of episodes drawing um, from the book Cultivation of Christian Character by J. Oswald Sanders. In today's episode, we are looking into what it means to grow in our faith and what exactly our faith needs to grow in. The types of attitudes, thoughts, and actions that should increasingly characterize and saturate our faith as we are following Christ. To begin our study of what it means to grow in our faith, uh, consider this exceptional quote um, from Sanders that establishes a crucial understanding between the relationship of God and the individual in the areas of growth and of the maturation of faith, while rightly admitting uh, that it is not always easy to discern where God's part in the work of sanctification ends and where man's begins. The indwelling of Christ is an act of God's grace in which we have no part. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is sovereign, but it will progress only insofar as we cooperate with him. There is a human as well as divine part in the cultivation of Christian character. A correct understanding of Christian growth begins with an accurate biblical grasp of the monergistic work of salvation and the synergistic work of sanctification. The reason this concept is so critical is that erroneous overlap or wrongful association of these two core biblical concepts can be extremely destructive. From a wrong view of the relationship between salvation and sanctification flows an attitude of self-righteousness, overwhelming guilt, self-dependence, works-based salvation, or maybe God-blaming sinfulness, and many other harmful mindsets. So what are these two foundational principles of the monergistic work of salvation in the synergistic work of sanctification. The monergistic work of salvation states that the action of being born again by the Spirit of God, also biblically defined as regeneration, comes into being exclusively by the power and initiative of God. Passages such as John 1, verses 12 through 13, John chapter 3, verse 8, and James chapter 1, verse 18 Describe the monergistic work of God, his power displayed in the life of the individual, causing a renewal and transformation of the old self into the new self, a passing away of old things and a coming of new things. It describes God's power transforming the individual, giving them a new birth to have faith in Christ. While salvation has the human element of response in repentance and faith, the work of salvation, the actual realization of accomplishment of it in the soul of a person, in the supernatural move, movement from death to life, exclusively depends on the outworking of God's power. In flowing from the great work of God bringing about salvation comes the synergistic work of sanctification. The synergistic work of sanctification highlights a plurality of parties who are working together to accomplish an intended result. Sanctification is simply the process of becoming more like Christ, set apart to the person of God. 
The Holy Spirit works actively in our being to form Christ in us, but his work can be inhibited, limited, or quenched by an individual's obedience or disobedience. A great verse that highlights the synergistic dynamic of sanctification, the working out of a salvation, not the working for salvation, is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, which says, So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here we see the, the two parties at work in being set apart to God, causing the individual to increase in Christ's likeness and holiness. We work out our salvation, but at the same time, simultaneously, it is God who is at work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Consider another great verse that describes the synergistic work of sanctification in Romans 8, 13, which says, By the Spirit you are putting death, the deeds of the body. Only by the Spirit, in an active dependency on the power of the Holy Spirit, can an individual be spiritually shaped to a greater degree in the form of Christ. By the Spirit actively depending and relying and drawing from his power, can we be obedient and work out our salvation to become more like Christ? How do we increase in our sanctification by the power of the Holy Spirit? Now that we understand what God has done in us and what God is doing through us with our active dependent cooperation, how do we cultivate a Christian character in our souls through an act of dependence on the Spirit's power working in us? Let's look at a great text in Scripture to see what God has done to help the believer in, in several key areas and also the several key graces that should characterize our growth and cultivation of a Christian character. We'll look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 7, in two different sections. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Three things God gives us so that we would be able to cultivate our faith in increasing Christ-like characteristics. First, in verse 3, God has given us everything we need to live the Christian life and be godly by his divine power. Nothing has been withheld or withdrawn from believers that would greatly aid them in the growth of their faith. Everything that pertains to life and godliness is available to us because of God's power. Anything that would be relevant or constructive or beneficial has been made available 
by God to us. What a promise and what a great truth that we can rely on in times of weakness or in times of struggle or times of temptation or even times of disappointment. That everything we need, God has made available by his power. Second in verse four, God has given us great promises, the promises of his spirit, promises of his gospel, promises in his word, etc., so that we would be strengthened, so that we would be empowered, and so that we would be comforted in our pursuit of cultivating Christian character. These promises are sources of strength, vats of hope, and oceans of direction for our lives. These promises are things that we can hang our life on, that we can rely on throughout the day-to-day struggles and temptations and opportunities in life. Third in verse four, God has imparted his very own nature to us through the indwelling presence of the spirit in Christ. To be saved is to be made in the likeness of his nature, so that we desire and imitate the nature of God ourselves. These three wonderful things have been done for every believer in aid in their pursuit of cultivating a Christian character. God has given us everything we need. God has made great promises to us. And God has caused us, by the power of his gospel, to be made like him so we would desire and imitate him. Now, how do we cultivate a Christian character? What does this character look like growing in our lives? Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-7. through 7. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness love. The key word that defines how we cultivate a Christian character, how we add graces to our faith, is diligence. Diligence is essential to growth and maturity of faith. It describes a hurriedness or eagerness to do something. There is both urgency and excitement at play in this word. Sanders identifies three qualities, the quality of earnestness, a passion to see maturity realized, industry, a willingness to do that which maturity requires, and perseverance, a spirit that does not quit or stop in contentment, but presses on in persistence to see maturity realized. Now, why is diligence important to cultivating a Christian character, to becoming more Christ-like? Without diligence, divine things will be put off, forgotten, or ignored. Diligence recognizes the supremacy of divine things for the given moment and has the motivation to seek their realization in one's life. The opposites of diligence are slothfulness and coziness. Slothfulness does not see the urgency to mature or the value of cultivating a Christian character. Coziness is content with where it is at, not desiring to regress, but also not desiring to labor for growth. In diligence, we seek through obedience to add things of Christ 
and remove the things of the flesh from our lives. Now, what does the text say we are to do in diligence, in our eagerness and hurriedness to be mature and grow in our faith? What are we supposed to do? We should supply our faith with the things of Christ. Supply is the command in our passage, and it's the main verb. And it means to add, furnish, or minister need to someone or something um, around us. Sanders points out the background for this word in Greek culture was the lavish ministering of supplies for the great Greek plays that required great amounts of people. A city or a, a play, a public place, a theater would host these lavish plays. And because of the great amount of people it took to put on these plays, this word describes the lavish outpouring of resources to make it happen. And so Sanders then draws the conclusion that we should supply our faith, not with the minimal amounts of the qualities that we're going to look at, of these graces of Christ, but instead we should supply our faith with these graces lavishly. And so in eagerness, we should furnish our faith with the things of God through the disciplines of the Christian faith in diligence we should seek to supply our faith with the things that'll cultivate it and mature it. Now, what are these things that we should supply our faith with? What are these things that we should lavishly add to our faith? These things that we should grow in. Uh, There are seven graces that the text highlights. Moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Moral excellence refers to being morally upright in your behavior, to be virtuous, to be filled with moral qualities of our Savior, to be like God in how we behave and how we think and what we do. Next is knowledge knowing how to apply the truth to life, knowledge that informs life, knowledge of the truth of God, the word of God that changes the way that we live. Next is self-control, the ability to harness and restrain oneself. Sanders describes it as the capacity to rule oneself, both in body and in spirit, rather than being controlled by impulses. Next is perseverance, the ability to remain steadfast and not falter under the pressures of life. Perseverance recognizes the sovereignty of God and goodness of God in circumstances, which allows obedience despite difficulty. Next is godliness, to be committed and devout in your relationship with God. Godliness is more than imitating God or being like God. It is having a biblically solid perspective of him in relationship with him. Next is brotherly love, kindness and affection for those around us, just like Jesus had for his disciples, an act of love for their spiritual well-being. And finally, we have love. We see love should be added to our faith, supplied to our faith. Love is the great culmination of Christ-like attitudes. Love is an affectionate willingness to sacrifice for the good or benefit of someone else. Love is the greatest Christ-like quality. Love should be the greatest thing cultivated in the Christian life because it affects everything. 
Sanders makes a, a critical final note on these seven graces. All seven graces are to be reproduced in each Christian. We are not to be specialists in one grace and neglect the others, but instead we are called to cultivate our character according to the whole of Christ, not parts of him that we find most agreeable or or easy to follow. We have been saved by the great grace and mercy of God with the purpose of becoming like our Savior. We are saved through the work of God so that we might work in active dependence on him to become more like Jesus. Why? God is glorified when his people are like the Son, and our good is realized when we become more like him in our lives. I hope and pray that you have been informed and edified on the nature of our sanctification and encouraged on the things we should seek to cultivate in our own lives as we pursue maturity according to the likeness of Christ. So praise God for the work he has done in your salvation and actively depend on him as you seek to work out your salvation with fear and trembling in cultivating a Christ-like character in your life. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Touch Points Podcast. We trust that you have been blessed by listening to this week's episode of Touch Points, a weekly podcast produced by East Point Bible Church in Peru, Indiana. To learn more about East Point, we would love to connect with you by reaching out via our website at ebcperu.org. That's ebcperu.org.